0: Lot of books um, for those of you who'd like to, if you'll invest the time, I'll I'll um, pay the price, Amen, for you to read because I think it would be of great benefit to you. Um, Pastor John Burke has written a sequel to "Imagine Heaven." It's "Imagine the God of Heaven," and talked a little bit about it before class started. I, I won't spend too much of our time here this evening, but I did feel impressed to share um, one account with you that really uh, Pam and I went to lunch today for my birthday and and, um, I was sitting there telling her about it and we were both sitting there at the restaurant just tears streaming down our face Amen. It's one of those, kind of like a song, you know, you have to sing a song a few times before you can sing it without crying, you know I think I can finally tell the story without crying, you know but um, if you're not familiar with Imagine Heaven, Imagine the God of Heaven Pastor John Burke has uh, researched people who have near death experiences and others, people whose a spirit and soul leave their body but return and people have different experiences and he's taken a, a real uh academic approach even to it spiritual approach but academic approach too in the sense that he's categorized and and you know the thousand plus uh experiences that he's interviewed people that that he's listened to and talked to that have had these experiences um you know there's d- different similarities and, and what have you but and imagine the god of heaven he focuses more on people's experiences with god as opposed to uh, heaven itself that's the first book is what people experienced in heaven and these are things that people experience with god and of course not all of these people have um uh you know uh, pleasant experiences let's just say it that way some have very horrific near death experiences because they were not ready to, to to meet god and and in this one particular one is a chapter in the book where he's talking about prayer and what's really, I think, interested me about this book is people who don't know the Old Testament from the New Testament have these experiences with God and come back thinking that they've received the key you know, mysteries to the universe and they don't realize that it's been in God's Word the whole time. Um, one lady came back and she was like, Jesus told me that my words determine the course that my life follows. I've got to tell everybody. And somebody's like, it's in James, sister. It's right <laughs> It's right there, you know. I mean, it's, Amen. This one particular situation, it was a young man. He had, um, he had died. His spirit and soul left his body, and the demons had him and were, were dragging him, um, off and and being very rough with him and uh, kicking and biting. I mean, it's it's, hell's. Listen, heaven's a lot better than any of us have ever imagined, and hell's a lot worse um, than we've ever imagined and he said out of nowhere God the Father spoke from the throne in a booming thunderous voice and said let him go and they let him go and this is what he said he said his mother has prayed 28,000 prayers for him and I made her a promise you let him go Twenty-eight thousand prayers that that mother prayed for that one young man. Amen. See, things are better when we pray. If that's true, then they're not when we don't. They can't be better when we pray and better when we don't. Amen. Things are better when we pray. Things are better when we pray. There was a pilot who had been dead. He was dead for 11 hours, documented 11 hours he was dead. And when he was in heaven as a pilot, he saw what he thought was contrails. That's the frozen vapor that's behind jet aircraft. And he saw six contrails cutting through the sky in heaven, and he got all excited thinking there was planes in heaven, and he asked the angel, by the way, the angel that told him, I was assigned to you at conception. Not birth. Not birth. birth. I was assigned to you at conception. I may get this number wrong, but he said something to the effect of, you're the 12,131st human being I've been assigned to. Amen. He asked the angel if there was airplanes in heaven because he saw what he thought were six contrails blazing across the sky in heaven. And the angel looked at him like he was crazy. He says, that's not from an airplane. He said, that's your family praying for you. When he came back into his body, he found out that six family members had gathered at his home because he was missing. They didn't know where he was. He went to his farm and accidentally overdosed on painkillers. And they were praying as the police were trying to find him. Six family members praying for him. They took him past the Hall of Knowledge. There's a Hall of Knowledge in heaven. They know that's what you called it, but I knew there was something like this in heaven. Because the Bible, see again... These are people who don't know anything about God and they're coming back and they're giving their experiences and they don't realize that it's all right here. The Bible says every time people get together like we're doing right now, it's recorded in a book. Somewhere in heaven, some angel right now is making a record of who's here, what time you got here, what we said before we started, what we sang, who sang it, what you said while you were singing it, my brother over here praying. That angel told him, he said, in that hall of knowledge, he said, is recorded every prayer that's ever been prayed from a human being on the earth. Every prayer ever been prayed. It's right there in that, in that building. Mm-mm-mm. mm mm God is good, amen. amen. God is good, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to I begin tonight in, um, I don't have a slide for this verse, but... Of these verses, John the fourteenth chapter, and the fifteenth verse. Um, When I sat down to to write um, the first book, becoming a threat to addiction, some of my procrastination was something I've asked God to forgive me for, and I've 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 uh, repented of because. I needed to have gotten that done sooner than I did, and um, but part of my hesitation was um, I wanted the book to be comprehensive, and I felt like there were still things that I needed to learn to, um, you know, before I published that. And, and um, of course, what I finally realized is that we never stop learning. And one day, I'm, I've already got notes for a second edition, things that I'll add to that because I've learned since I published the book. And, and um, there's another book that I've been working on for a long time, but it was one of those things that I really felt like, you know, there will come a day when I'll be ready to, to write this book. And, and um, I really feel like that it, it's time. And... Um, <clears throat> I want to present to the body of Christ uh, a, a work on what it really means to be saved. Our new birth and salvation experience is the single most important event in our lives. You have to be born of water to be born of the Spirit. But if you're only born of water and never born of the Spirit, I think we can make a good case that it would have been better if you'd never been born of water. So we're talking about something even more significant than your natural birth, something more important than than your birthday. As I was praying about this year, and um, I have a lot of milestones at the beginning of the year, obviously a new year, and then on the third today, my birthday. But the Lord reminded me that the second time I was born was in 1974, and that this will be a jubilee year for me, 50 years of knowing the Lord and walking with Him. And that's more important and more significant, I believe, biblically, not just An opinion I believe from the scriptures that's more important even than my um my physical birth it's something to be more celebrated let's say it that way and so anytime somebody wishes me a happy birthday last few days I've I said "Let let me tell you something better than than that this this year will mark 50 years since I walked the aisle on a Sunday night amen and gave my heart to Jesus. Praise God. I'm excited about that. Amen. But it's the most significant event in a person's life, and yet the for many, many, many overwhelming majority of, of God's people, it's the least understood. People have no idea. They have no idea why. They it was so important for God to pay the price that he paid they have no idea what it was all about and what it took and the sacrifice that it that was that was required and then the results according to John the Baptist Jesus came to do two things for us he came to take away our sins and he came to baptize us in the holy ghost holy spirit if you prefer he came to take away our sins not forgive us take them away there's difference right we've been covering that take away our sins, baptize us in the Holy Ghost. Do you realize that there is more confusion, more division, more argument over those two things, over those two doctrines than any other thing you find in the Bible? More people can agree on what the third trumpet in the book of Revelation is, and they can, on whether or not your salvation is eternal. And that, my friend, is not by accident. That is strategic on the part of Satan. He does not want people to ever hear the first thing about God. He certainly does not want people to hear the gospel message because the power of God unto salvation is in the message itself. Okay. But then even if someone does hear the message and does call upon the name of the Lord, and by the way, despite a lot of religious tradition garbage, right? It's actually quite easy to get born again. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The man who saw the six contrails in the sky, his whole family was Christian. He was not. Didn't care nothing about it, Said, I ignored God my whole life. But when he parked his truck at his farm to check on a fence and he had taken the, that pain pill and he had already taken more than he should have that day because autoimmune disease. He said as his head went towards the steering wheel, he knew something was wrong, right And he hollered out, God forgive me, before his face hit the steering wheel and died. Amen. Well, that ain't fair. Well, grace ain't fair. Thank God it's not. Thank God it's not. Thank God it's not. There is something deeply and religiously wrong about folks who want to judge other people and cause other people to question their salvation. It's of the devil. I'm telling you, I've never said it. I've, I've, I've come close to saying that over the years, but I'm, I mean here of late the Holy Spirit has really impressed upon me. The devil is behind that. The devil is the one that's wanting you to question and never have any security, never have any kind of confidence in who you are and whose you are and what's been done for you and what's been given to you and who you became and, what, and, what, and who is in you. and part of it i know this may sound so simple but but it, it really does come back to these words eternal and these words forever and by the way those those aren't my words they're words that were given to me but they're jesus's words they're 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 father god's words he he could have um how do i say this he could have left room in, in his explanations of these things and in his declarations and proclamations of these things, he could have hedged his bet, so to speak. He could have built into it and out for himself if, I mean, somebody just finally just, he just had enough of it and he's, all right, I'm through with you. But no, see, the Bible is very clear about this. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the one who said, I never will. He's the one who said that the Holy Spirit will abide with you forever and He's with you now, but He's going to soon be in you. And when He's in you, He will be in you forever. Forever. Let's let's read that, John 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, If you love Me, keep My commandments, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you Another helper, and that's capital H because he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. And that this Holy Spirit, by the way, in the Greek it's the word parakletos, and it, it simply means another one like Jesus called alongside to help. And remember, Jesus said that he was going to leave so that he could send the Holy Spirit, and that it was going to be to our advantage that he leave us and go away so that the Holy Spirit could come. And the reason it was, well, a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons it's going to be to our advantage is because as great and as awesome and as amazing as Jesus was and is, on this earth in human form, He could never be in you. And you could never be in Him. But when He returned to heaven after completing His work on the cross and in death, hell, and the grave. And then went to heaven in a glorified body. And by the way, there's a glorified human body sitting on the throne of the universe with nail scars still in His hands and feet. But now it's to our advantage because He said to His disciples, let me read the verse here. I'll pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you. And there's the word forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans abandoned. I, 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 will, not, I will not leave you in a, in a state without an advocate. I will not leave you in a position without someone on this earth to, from from heaven to, to care for you and to, and to guide you and to help you and to protect you and to lead you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so we know that Jesus ascends to the Father, but He said, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. But now the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus, remember? When He was baptized in water by John the Baptist, He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon Him as a dove, and the Bible says, and remains upon Him. Remains upon Him, right? So Jesus says, listen guys, you're not a stranger to the Holy Spirit. He's been with us this whole time, but there's coming a significant shift, and that is the Holy Spirit who's with you now will be in you. He's going to be in you. And, of course, we know that Jesus had to complete His work on the cross so that we could be perfected by the work that He did on the cross, making you and me a fit temple for the Holy Spirit to come and live and abide and dwell within But Jesus said when he abides, he's going to do that forever. Forever. Again, his word, not mine. Now, the word forever, it obviously means never-ending. But when you layer never-changing with never-ending it, to me, makes it ironclad, right? In other words, you could say, well, it's never ending unless. And that's where a lot of people, I think, well, it's, it's never ending unless you do this. It's never ending unless you go here. It's never ending unless you say this. It's never ending, you know, unless you decide to end it. I want you to listen to me very careful, Okay. There, there are there are are men that I love and respect, and I'll be honest with you. I, I listen. Some of these men I listen to at least at least an hour a week of their teaching. Men that I respect that have worldwide ministries. Are you following me? That, and and to be honest with you, that that's one of the things that the enemy has tried to use to give me pause. Because as much as I love and respect these men and as much as I have learned from them over the years, some of these men believe that you can go far enough and God won't be with you anymore. That, that He will leave you and that, that, he, will, that he will abandon you. So they don't say it that way. Right. Because they present it from the perspective of it's not him leaving you, it's you leaving him. Okay, well, and and we're going to get to it. I mean, I've taught on it before. We're going to get to it. And and I'm going to show you how you let me say it this way. If you have and I'm just going to throw out a number, if you have a hundred verses in the Bible that make it very clear and very plain that what God has done in you is an eternal salvation through an eternal redemption because of an eternal spirit that has given you an eternal inheritance. Again, I'm quoting Bible verses, multiple Bible verses now, right? If, if you if he 'll be with you forever, he will never leave you nor forsake you. If your heart condemns you god 's greater than your heart, but if your heart condemns you not again that 's the difference between positional oneness and functional oneness. If you have a hundred verses that plainly and clearly say that what God has done in you, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified by one offering of himself, he has perfected forever again. He didn't say has perfected for the most part, you know, for at least a little. while. No, again, I'm his words. I, I was praying about some of these things this morning, and, and the Lord just kind of he. And this is where a lot of this is coming from tonight. I got, I got so many sermons up here. We couldn't preach them all in in three, three nights. Okay, but he just said one thing to me. He said. He said, is the word forever supposed to be the only word that I didn't really mean? That's good, brother. Is, that, is that supposed to be the one word that I was just exaggerating? Forever means forever. If the Holy Spirit, once you're born again and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and Jesus said He's going to be in you forever, then forever means never ending, never changing. It cannot and will not end and it cannot and will not be changed okay so let me get back to it then so if, you, if you've if got a hundred of those verses right and then you've got a passage in Hebrews 6 and a passage in Hebrews 10 and one in Second Peter okay so several verses but basically three passages that on the surface seem to override the hundred then we need to look at those three a little closer and see what other meanings they could have. And so when it comes to the Hebrews 6 and the Hebrews 10 passage, we explain part of this in, in class this, uh, this evening. where it says that how shall um you know if you've tasted of the heavenly gift and uh experienced the good things of god and and then you know turn away then you know how 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 can you be saved you know and i'm I'm again i'm gonna go into this word by word for you but so you look at that and you think okay well i mean there it is p- p- clear as day with this one exception the book of hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew people. It's not written specifically to a church. The, the book of Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus. It's written to specifically addressing people who have already been born again. And you need to understand that in order to understand Ephesians. You need to understand that in order to understand First and Second Corinthians. But if you're going to understand Hebrews, you've got to understand that the writer of Hebrews inspired by the Holy Spirit is writing both to born-again Jewish men and women and to non-born-again Jewish men and women. Specifically, he's writing to, to Hebrew people, Jewish people who experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus. They tasted of the heavenly gift of Jesus. Maybe their children were healed by Jesus. Maybe they ate the seafood buffet that Jesus prepared for and and fed tens of thousands of people that day. People who experienced Him but have not yet received Him as the Messiah. And now these people are getting older and they're about to go off into eternity lost. And the writer of Hebrews is going after these people. They did taste the heavenly gift. They did experience uh, God. But that, see, remember, then said Jesus, those Jews who believed in him. And we think that those people believed in him and they were saved. They weren't saved. You have to ask yourself, what did they believe about him? And what they believed about him was that he was a good man. What they believed about him was that he stood up to the religious bullies. What they believed about him is they've never heard anybody speak like he speaks. What they believed about him is they've never seen anybody do what he's done. But that doesn't mean they believed he was the Son of God. As a matter of fact, in John 8, when Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. They got ready to fight him just like the Pharisees got ready to fight him. How dare you think we need to be saved. We're not the slave of anybody. We're not a slave to sin. We're Abraham's descendants. Don't you know who we are, Jesus? If you just read this, you think, man, this was kumbaya. Man, these folks getting before Jesus and crying out to God, receiving salvation and forgiveness and all these other things. Jesus told them point blank. He said, a slave doesn't abide in the Father's house, but if you let me make you a son of God, you will abide in my Father's house Forever. Good. So we, we, we have to understand, even when he says that if you reject him, you, you leave him, uh, crucify the Son of God again and put him to an open shame. Do you know what the literal translation of that is? At least the Romans had the decency of taking Him down from the cross and burying Him, but because you've experienced His earthly ministry, but are still wavering on whether or not He's the Son of God, you've basically left Him hanging on the cross and won't make a decision. So again, I'm just... My, my jubilee year is the year I feel like the Lord is in um, there was this time it's just time and, and there are things that we're going to be uh, um, uh, Max Lucato, one of the more popular Christian authors in our world today he said something that really really um, I think the Holy Spirit led me to this quote from him he said preaching if you don't know this he's a pastor he said preaching makes me a better writer and writing makes me a better preacher amen so a lot of the things that i've been uh you know i guess we could call this a wednesday night laboratory amen (laughs) um a lot of the things that that i've really been thinking through and and um outlining and and you know it's things that we've been talking about last several weeks really going all the way back to when we started talking about fellowship because to me fellowship is the is the ultimate context for all of this, in other words, this is it's the why behind the price that was paid and the desire that's in our um, father's heart for these things. Um, amen, let me um thank you jesus let's let's do this, and I, I think we can do this in, in time. I want to get back to now. But I don't want to try to tackle this tonight. But I want to get back to perfected forever. Because we're, we're the Holy Spirit's got us onto something there. And remember last week we said that perfected, we, we tend to think of something as being perfect as without flaw. But biblically speaking, something that has been perfected is something that has uh, reached its intended end. And Hebrews 5 says that even though Jesus was a son, in other words, even though he was perfected forever, anybody in here disagree that Jesus was perfected forever? He was perfected forever. But then he came to this earth, and the Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And now having been perfected, what having been he already was but see Jesus is the example for us to learn from where did Jesus start out he started out in oneness and fellowship with the father he came to this earth became your sin and my sin came forth from the father to the earth became our sin was separated from the father died death equals separation raised up from the dead re-established in oneness and fellowship with the father so something that is perfected is something that has started gone full circle and come all the way back around to a point of completion Jesus was the perfect son of God he came forth from the father to the earth as a human being he became your sin and our sin separated us from father what did he that was his suffering right Jesus suffered the beating the crucifixion the th- the crown of thorns, the spear in his side, the the, the the punching him in the face, the ripping out of his beard, not to mention all the emotional abuse, um, the psychological abuse, uh, not to mention the, the the Roman whip on his back. I mean, all, all of these things. That, that level of suffering is 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 again impossible for us to comprehend. But that the 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 real suffering. And not to minimize any of that, sometimes we you know, we think if we elevate one thing over another that we're diminishing this. No, no, that's all the physical, mental, uh, uh, psychological abuse and suffering that Jesus had. That's here, okay? I mean, high as, high as you can imagine, okay? But even above that was him knowing that the minute he became your sin and my sin that he was going to be ripped from a position of oneness, eternal oneness with his Father that his father was going to turn his back on him. It was prophesied. David, the same prophet, David that prophesied him being separated was the same prophet that prophesied, but you will not leave his soul in hell or allow your Holy One to see corruption. Corruption starts after the third day. Amen. So again, separated, learned obedience. That word obedience means Um, Special. uh, it means faith to do uh, the special will of God and again this was special unique will of God that Jesus was carrying out in His death on the cross He's separated from the Father becomes your sin, my sin, separated from the Father He dies, death equals separation He goes to death, hell, and the grave but on the third day Father God calls Him back forth and He ascends back to the right hand of the Father so notice came forth from the Father, completed that cycle. Now He has been perfected. So He says, having been perfected, He became the author, Hebrews 5, 9, of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. We here obey Him and we think our salvation is based upon our obedience. That doesn't fit with... 95 other verses in the Bible that make it very clear that our salvation is not based upon our obedience, not based upon what we do, it's based upon what He does. But see, obey there fits into a different use of the word obey when it's, when it's, when it's talking about obeying that form of doctrine, Romans 6 and I think 19. Again, it's the same obedience that Jesus had. It's, it's faith to do the will of God. It's, it's obeying that form of doctrine, obeying Him Means uh, hearkening unto his voice and responding to him. And that's what I did in 1974 when I heard the gospel message. He spoke to me. I heard his voice and I responded to him. I obeyed him. Are you seeing this? Okay. Okay. So Jesus, having been perfected, it was his perfection. That put him in the unique position to be the one who has now perfected you and me. Meaning what? Because we're in Christ, we made that whole loop ourselves. And we're now reestablished once again in oneness and fellowship with God the Father. Here's the difference, though we started out in oneness and fellowship with God the Father in Adam. That didn't turn out too well for us, did it? If we were still in Adam, then I could not stand in this pulpit and boldly preach and boldly preach to you the eternal nature of your salvation. But we're not in Adam anymore. We were in oneness and fellowship with God when we were in Adam. Now we're in oneness and fellowship with God, but we're in the last Adam we're in oneness and fellowship with God not because of what we've done but because of what Jesus has done so by one offering of himself remember we went through all those verses last week that Levitical priesthood could perfect nothing the law and the commandments could perfect nothing the blood of animals bulls and goats ashes of a heifer could make nothing perfect, could make nothing perfect, could make nothing perfect. Again, it's one of the themes throughout the book of Hebrews. That could make nothing perfect, that could make nothing perfect, that could make nothing perfect, that could make nothing perfect. It had to be repeated over and over and over again. Every time somebody sinned, it had to be repeated again. But one offering of himself, one sacrifice for all sin for all time, by one offering of himself, Jesus accomplished what all of that in the Old Testament could never accomplish. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And here's the problem. We've been talking about it here at Heritage for years. I've said it multiple times already this year in discipleship class. People are trying to live in the New Covenant with an Old Covenant mindset. They're trying to comprehend what Jesus did for us based upon the outdated thinking derived from the Old Testament. What is that outdated thinking? That outdated thinking is what I call a pay-as-you-go for sin, right? I remember on Sunday night when we were teenagers, after church, a lot of us would go somewhere to eat, you know, teenagers, the church, whatever, and um, for his work and everything like that. We'd go and Dad, Dad would get his wallet out, right? He'd start looking through and he only, he'd only have 20s, Don. And he'd he'd always make sure there wasn't more stuck together, right? Bethany, one of her first Tooth Fairy episodes was spend the night at Mama and Papa's and Daddy went to play Tooth Fairy and in the dark, he thought he pulled out five ones. It was a ten and four ones, wasn't it? He slipped $14 under her pillow. And, uh, but anyway, he'd pull that wallet out, right? And then the next, Wednesday, next Sunday night, we'd go out to eat again. He'd pull that wallet out again. And I think sometimes we, we think of Jesus like every time we sin, he's like, are you serious? You sinned again, Andre? My goodness, son. You know, I mean, I, how much money do you think? I'm not made of forgiveness. Yes, he is made of forgiveness. He's made of redemption. He is our propitiation, right? So see we think every time we sin we got to go back to him and Jesus pay again and pay again and pay again. It's a it, we think it's pay as you go. That's Old Testament. Old Testament was pay as you go. We're not in a pay as you go. We're in one payment made 2000 years ago for any and every sin that'll ever be committed by a human being on planet earth. Already already paid for. Not only is it been paid for, that sin has already separated somebody from God. So that when you sin, it don't separate you because it's already separated somebody. That part of sin, already absorbed, all, propitiation, wrath's already absorbed, right? So this, But see, again, if if you look at it as, look, son, now I'm, I'm going to show you some grace here, but at some point, you've you got to figure this thing out and you've got to start being righteous on your own. No, never, never. A thousand years from now as we continue to learn and grow up into Jesus in all things never will there ever come a time when he cuts you loose and says okay your own righteousness will do it get the job done now. Never. Never. It won't do it a thousand years from now and it won't do it ten minutes from now. See what we're getting into now and, and, and the more, anytime you've got two positions on anything, right. And there was a time in my life when I didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't believe in speaking in tongues until I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I did speak in tongues. And I do speak in tongues. And I'm not bragging. Probably prayed in the Holy Ghost off and on at different points throughout the day. Probably an hour and a half today. I, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not bragging about that. I'm just, amen. I'm just telling you, I, it's part of my life. This boy don't ever get in the shower. that He don't pray in tongues. But there was a time in my life. But so, so now you've got okay. Well, uh, the Baptists say this. Now the Methodists say this. But everybody knows them Methodist brothers. They used to speak in tongues. I don't know what happened to them. You know. And you got the Pentecostal brothers say this. And you got uh, some of the Holiness people that say if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. You got all all these different. You know. And so it's like, well, who's right? And everybody's got a Bible verse or two to support their position. Church of Christ brothers, and thank God for them. You know, I'm not bashing them. You know, you get saved, you drop dead before you get in the water. You going to hell? Sorry, should have got baptized sooner. Should have got saved before your heart got bad. What you know? I don't. You know, it's just so who? And again, they got their verses for that, right? And there's so many folks in the in in Christianity today. I'm not listening, please. I don't. Maybe I shouldn't say this. I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's like, well, then go show us a movie clip and let's talk about being good people and being the best version of yourself and, and, and be kind and don't lie. And now let's go eat some tacos, you know. And, and and so this one, we don't want to get into neither. We don't want to get into this because this is controversial. It's not controversial. It's confrontational. People don't like being confronted with the truth, right? And so, you know, you're going to run people off, and we have ran people off. I mean, I've, people have left because of this before. And I, but again, I'm not just trying to, because to, there's some, and I've seen pastors that do this. It's like, it's like they, they always want to preach something that other people don't agree with and just keep that stirred up. That's not what I'm doing here, and I don't think you're here for that, Okay but I came to a point in my life and this was in the, in the days leading up to Heritage I didn't think I'd ever preach again and I was fine with that I'd been chewed up and spit out by religion and, and if, if what I was doing was, was ministry, I, ministry wasn't for me and I was done with it I'd, me and Pam started a business and we were going to give money to ministry and, but I was done preaching but let me tell you what I wasn't done with I wanted to know the truth because no matter how confused churches are and denominations are and preachers are and Bible colleges are, God's not confused. And there's not multiple truths. There's one truth. There's one truth. Amen. And so, praise God. That's that's. Uh, stand with me. It's 8.06. I didn't mean to keep you this late. But I appreciate you kind of letting me just... Amen. Sometimes we do this around the first of the year. Normally we do it on... Sundays, we may have another session like this on Sundays, but I'm just trying to share my heart with you on on, on what the Lord's placed on my heart. And I had a man, and uh, it, it was it was one of the more meaningful, uh, encouraging words that I'd ever heard before. This was a man who was raised Southern Baptist, and and he believed in eternal salvation. Um, but he, he heard me preach on the subject and, and he came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, he said, I've always believed it, but I've never known why. So there's a lot of people who who believe you can lose your salvation, but they don't know because it just makes sense to them that you can. I mean, I mean, God can only be so gentle and merciful. I mean, you know. But they, they don't know why they believe you can. And there are people who believe you can't, but they don't know why they believe you can't. Well, it's, t- it's time to correct that. And, and one of the reasons why people aren't more interested in, in sharing the gospel with other folks is because they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't really understand the jewel that they have. They don't really understand the goodness of God and, 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 the, and the grace of God and the, and the blessing. Amen. All right. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Father, you, uh, you gave us purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. You've known us for a long time, Father. <laughs> oh, how long have you known me, Lord? I, I, I'm 57 today, but you've known me a lot longer than 57 years, Lord. A lot longer than that. You've got more than a hundred year plan for my life, Lord. Thank you for helping us, Jesus. Lord, I, I think you know my heart when I say this. I, first and foremost, I feel like you're leading me to do this. But, but Jesus, this is something I want to do for you. I want people to understand what you've done for us. Not to win some religious argument, Father, not to not to try to act like we're superior than somebody else, Lord, but just want to know just want to know the truth in spirit of truth, I thank you that you're leading us and guiding us into all truth, and Father, I believe that the revival and the awakening that is that is coming is going to be one of great understanding and revelation concerning who you are. You being revealed. You being made known. And the beauty of your holiness and people being drawn to you. The desire of all nations. And finally, Lord, after people get through looking in every alleyway and in every dark corner and in every wicked manipulation of their flesh, Father, they're going to they're gonna spring back and find that it's been you that they've desired the whole time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this Wednesday night bunch. Oh, Lord, they're special to you, special to me. Hungry people, Lord. And I thank you that that because we're hungry, you're feeding us. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness in 2024. Amen. That's uh, calling things that be not as though they were. Amen.